Good morning. Welcome as we come to worship um, on a lovely spring morning, a little crisp in the air, uh, but the sun shining. Uh, new are His mercies every single day, and it's wonderful um, as we gather together, whether it's here in person um, or online, as we gather with one purpose today, to give worship, honor, and glory um, to the one who is worthy uh, of that. Um, <clears throat> we open with a few sentences of Scripture uh, as normal today. Uh, they come from Lamentations and Nahum. Um, it says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. God is close to those who trust in him. Let's pray as we open today. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us. Thank you that today is a new day filled with new opportunities. For the things that we carry into today, Lord, in this moment we pray and we seek that your hand and your presence will be upon them. Your presence will bring a change and a transformation in those places that we are weigh heavy and burden our hearts. Uh, but Lord, we also pray today that as we come together, setting time aside collectively to worship you as a group of believers, that in this place at this time, our worship will be worthy of your name. In your precious and beautiful name we pray. Amen. The reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and starting at verse 24. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's just pray as we open God's word. Father God, we thank you that we are able to gather together in freedom today without fear of persecution or without fear of meeting in your name. Lord, in that freedom, we pray that our hearts, our minds would be free to receive from your spirit, from your word and not my words today, we pray would have power in our lives. In your name, amen. So we, uh, in this series of the stories of Easter, uh, as we travel uh, up through to Easter Sunday, last week we looked at Mary, uh, the mother uh, of Jesus, um, seeing that she pondered at his birth, uh, she wept at his death, and she rejoiced at his resurrection. Uh, she continued with him the faithfulness 
uh, of the mother, continue with him all the way uh, through his life. And that act of faith, as she um, declared, even before anybody else had seen any of his miracles, she declared to those around him at the, the water into wine incident uh, and miracle where she simply said, do what he says. Jesus, you can sort this out. Uh, even before anybody else had seen it at all, she had faith um, in Jesus. Today, we looked at Thomas, who in one sense appears as if he's in stark contrast to that, because uh, he appears as if he really lacked faith. Um, we join the story of Thomas, and this is entitled The Stories of Easter. I talk about joining these stories because actually joining a story is a very powerful thing, as we said last week, isn't it? Often whenever we recount stories, we were, there are individuals involved in them. We recount the mannerisms of an individual, the character of an individual, or the antics of the individual, uh, whatever that might be. They're recounted in the stories. And so we join these individuals in their story as their story plays into the big story, the big meta-narrative of God's picture, of God's unfolding story of all time. And so Thomas, he's commonly known as Doubting Thomas, isn't he? That's kind of how we recognize him. Not um, Thomas called Didymus, but rather Thomas called Didymus one of the twelve. We know him as Doubting Thomas, um, the one who didn't believe um, and actually, that name has stuck, not just for Thomas, but for actually for many people, even today. We talk about, we would almost describe someone who doesn't believe something as a doubting Thomas. Uh, they're a real doubting Thomas. Uh, that indecision in people's lives is characterized by Thomas. Now, Thomas is seen in four places um, in the Gospels, if you like. Firstly, uh, he's simply named as a disciple of Jesus um, way back in the early days of the Gospels. Whenever the 12 disciples are listed, he's simply named as one of the disciples. He's latterly seen at the death of Lazarus, Jesus' friend. And he contained in that story, not at the moment where Jesus and Lazarus uh, are interacting, whenever Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead, but just before it. We're going to look at that a little bit uh, later on today. Thirdly, um, he's in one of the most famous moments um, in John 14, around the Last Supper. And lastly, he's seen as the one which he's most famous for, the doubter at the resurrection. Um, the one who didn't believe that Jesus was alive. He's often seen as a pessimist. Now, we often describe people as either a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of where you think you sit in those places. Uh, but we all know that we probably lean one way or the other. Whenever something happens, we're either pessimistic about it and all the bad things we see can come from it, or, or we can be optimistic and see all the good things and the opportunities that can actually um, come from it. You see, in John um, chapter 11 um, and verse 16, we see Thomas um, saying this. This is whenever uh, Jesus is at the death of Lazarus and the word has come to Jesus um, that his friend Lazarus has died um, and he, uh, his friend Lazarus is grievously ill and he needs to go uh, and visit him. Um, and Jesus simply says, no, I'm going to wait. Um, and then he says he's going to go at a certain time. There's a conversation amongst the disciples at this point where they're saying, oh, but Jesus, that, that's, that's like, you're going to go there, but that's in Bethany. 
the last time you were in Bethany, you kind of got chased out of Bethany. They didn't like you there, Jesus. Um, and eventually, Thomas, after Jesus says they're going, Thomas basically says, uh, in verse 16, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go, let us also go, that we may die with him. In other words, well, if Jesus is going to die, we might as well go with him and die there uh, as well. We might as well go and experience the same thing because, do you know what? It's going to happen anyway. So here's all the bad things that's going to happen about it, so we might as well just endure it now. And so the pessimism kind of almost, can you say the pessimism overflows? <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, the pessimism is there. It's dragging him down. Um, and can you imagine that journey from where they were to Bethany with Thomas already in a pessimistic mood? Holy, for goodness sake, what are we actually doing this for? This is a disaster. We all know where this is going to end up. Can we not just stop? I'm hungry. When are we going to get there? You know, you can imagine all of those questions getting dumped out into the rest of the disciples. And then you can imagine that, because often that negative negativity has an influence on other people, doesn't it? And it begins to drag other people down. It begins to pull um, other people in. Or in terms uh, of our culture, sometimes we feel as if the life is completely sucked out of us whenever we spend time with somebody who is consistently and constantly negative all of the time. We just feel... And then it can get to the point, actually, whenever we see that individual come and we go, we pretend to be busy, or we pretend to do something else, or we pretend to go the other way, or we go down a different aisle in the supermarket. Ungracious as that may be, humanly speaking, sometimes that's where we find ourselves. And so you can imagine the interaction that there is between some of the other disciples the leg of Peter, who's jumping in feet first all of the time. He's kind of an optimist. He sees the opportunities and absolutely everything. You can imagine the dialogue that might have been between Thomas um, and Peter. I wonder, have you ever felt as if you've been in a situation where other people, negativity is influencing your perspective um, on life? Um, I don't know if you ever watched the show Dairy Girls. A few people are, some people are admitting to it. Some people are going, hmm. Well, there's a character in Derry Girls called Uncle Callum. That's kind of who I imagine Thomas to be a bit like. Uncle Callum talks like this going on all of the time. And it takes 15 minutes to tell a story. I kind of imagine that might be what Thomas was like. And when we see him at the Last Supper in John chapter 14, which is actually just before the narrative of the Last Supper, it's a fairly well-known passage, actually. It's a passage that we would probably know. And because of, because of Thomas's questions, he revokes or invokes an answer from Jesus that has become possibly one of the best-known Bible verses of all time. And Jesus says this in John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that you also may know where I am going. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, Jesus, if you have been traveling with Jesus and you've seen all the miracles that he has done, 
if you've seen the optimism that he has, the life that he has led, and he is now telling you, don't be afraid, don't worry, I'm preparing a place for you. Would you what would your response have been? Well, Thomas comes in and he says, Lord, how are you going to know where we're going? Sure, we don't even know the way. Like, seriously, Lord, like, come on, you've told us not to worry, but I'm already starting to worry because you're talking about this really good place, but I don't even know how to get there. But yet Thomas's questions are really important because Thomas's questions evokes the answer that is one of the most common Bible verses of all time. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in his pessimism, in his doubts, in his questions, comes opportunities and comes truth that we stand on and build a foundation in our Christian faith on today. Whilst he is in one sense, an eternal pessimist. We know that if we can't see the mansion, how are we going to get there? And that's where faith steps in. In our text today, we see that he had withdrawn from the others. In this passage that David read for us, we see that Thomas was not with the others in the upper room. He'd withdrawn Everybody else seems to have been there except him. He'd withdrawn to a place of solitude. He'd withdrawn to a place where he was on his own and he was allowing his own thoughts to go round and round in circles in his head. And often that can be a trait of those whose characters are more negative or more pessimistic, where they withdraw and they retreat into their own thoughts and those thoughts go round and round and round. And actually the situation becomes worse and worse and worse because there's no objective speaking in to the situation. There's no friends to spur him on. He's withdrawn from them. He's secluded himself and he's taken himself away. On the other hand, maybe the others were happy that he wasn't in the upper room with them because maybe Thomas would have been the one saying, I tell you all this, this was going to happen. This is exactly what I said was going to happen. Didn't it? I'm out, no, it didn't happen at Bethany. I was right. And it, didn't, I was wrong. it didn't happen at Bethany. But I told you it was going to happen. And now it has happened. He's dead and he's not here. But here, in this moment, we see the reason, as it says in Hebrews, that we must not give up meeting together. The reason that we gather together as a community of faith is to spur one another on, is to see that we have a common purpose and a common identity, that we worship a God who is able to do what he says he is able to do, that we can lift each other, that we can pray for each other, that we can encourage and ask of each other and carry each other in the hard times. For where two or three meet in his name, he has promised with us. That's what Jesus promises. Where two or three meet in my name, I will be there also. But Thomas, in one sense, didn't just doubt in this passage. See, verse 25 says this. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Now you can imagine the excitement, the overflowing joy that there was in their voices. Thomas, whenever he arrives, Thomas, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas comes in. 
Well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put the fingers where his nails were and put the hands into his side, I will not believe it. Thomas puts conditions to his belief. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can do that with God. I can say, God, I will believe or I will know or I will do if, if. Thomas insisted on signs to prove that Jesus was real. As we talked about last week, little pieces of a jigsaw and each of us having a piece of a jigsaw so the big picture is revealed. Maybe actually this was Thomas's piece of the jigsaw. His piece of the jigsaw, they showed the disciples were not hallucinating. That it wasn't some made-up story that they concocted whenever they were on their own in a closed room. Thomas, in his questioning, his seeking of proof, in that moment proves the resurrection because he's able to physically touch Jesus. I remember whenever we were at theological college, uh, there was a moment where uh, one of our lecturers was verging on the, verging on, um, uh, was on that space where the denial that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Effectively, it was a hallucination of, of the disciples. And I remember as a class, we were kind of going, what? Hold on, that's not right. That can't be right. What about this? And one of my uh, colleagues um, opened up his Bible um, to, uh, into the Gospel of John, um, and into chapter 21 um, and he just simply began to read chapter 21 of the gospel of John and that's the moment where Jesus the, the disciples are now out fishing they've returned to what they knew and Jesus is sitting on the beach cooking fish waiting for them to return and he says oh so the disciples went fishing uh-huh the lecturer said oh did they catch anything well it says you know that they caught a number of fish so big that their boat nearly sunk and Jesus was cooking fish on the shore uh-huh and then the disciples came and they ate breakfast together. Uh-huh. And then my colleague in ministry turned to the, the lecturer and he said, well, that sounds pretty real to me. Like, if you're not real, you can't really eat breakfast, can you? And in a sense, it's a bit like Thomas touching Jesus, putting his hands in the holes and saying, he is real. And so in our questioning, it's okay to question God, actually. Because the God that we worship is bigger than any of our questions. Bigger than any of our questions. But as we question, we must move forward and not simply sit back. Thomas's questions were spurring him forward in faith. Spurring him forward to believe the answers that he was given. Spurring him forward in the journey that he had with Jesus. And in this moment, I think there must have been a, a dramatic struggle between faith and sight raging within Thomas. That moment where he wanted to see physically that Jesus was alive, but also wanted to believe his disciples who he knew and who he trusted, his friends who he knew and who he trusted. His dogged determination to ask questions, to find answers in one sense is commendable, but in the other sense can be crippling if all we do is simply ask questions and not move forward in our questioning and in our journey with God. That's why we must do what 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 says. We walk by faith 
and not by sight. There are some things that we might never find answers to, but by faith, we take another step with Jesus in the knowledge that as we walk with him, we will learn more about him, about his power, about his majesty, about his glory. Because Jesus stands ready to meet us in our doubts. That's what he did with Thomas. He met him in his doubts, in his questions. There's no question too big for God. There's no pessimistic moment too negative or dull for him. Like the father who brought his boy for healing to Jesus, he simply wanted to believe. In fact, he said, help me in my unbelief. I believe, the father said, but help me in my unbelief. And there's the struggle for us today. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I recognize that I want to believe. I want to move forward with you, but I recognize that there's a struggle within me that can sometimes hold me back. So help me in the unbelief so I can move forward in my belief and in my faith. May our cry today be, I do believe, but help me even in my unbelief because faith has won through. Thomas didn't keep doubting. If you read the rest of the New Testament, we learn from history that Thomas became a mighty witness for the risen Christ. I wonder, what is the Lord saying to us today? How is he encouraging or spurring you and I forward so we might be a mighty witness for him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your presence is indeed with us. More than that, that your power is present with us. That you stand waiting to meet us in our questions or in our doubts. That the negativity surrounded us in the world today, you bring hope and life. So help us, Lord, to declare that we believe and even in our questions, help us to move forward. In your name, amen. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. They have come so that you proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honour when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end results of your faith the salvation of your soul. And with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.